we've been studying the book of Mark, and we've kind of talked about all the building up to where we are. We're actually only in Mark chapter 3 right now, so we're still pretty early in the book. There's 16 chapters in the book of Mark, and so we're in chapter 3. But we've talked about a lot already about this uh, profound reality that the Messiah has come, and about this idea that um, we have to be ready and that we are included. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys, not that I'm not, this morning's this throw a little wrinkle in what we've been doing a little bit. I'm going to talk about that because we talked about how we are partakers with Jesus Christ in his kingdom, and that's true. And we talk about how he was baptized and the Father spoke and the Holy Spirit came down and that's available to us as well when we're baptized in the name of Jesus, which is true. When we're believing in Jesus as Savior, we are anointed or chosen by the Holy Spirit, which I believe is true. And then we have this act of baptism that's an expression of our faith of what's happened internally. We express that to the world. There's also some mystery in baptism because I believe it's a marker in what we are called to do, which is what we're going to talk about today. So today we're going to talk about this idea whenever the purpose he has for those he calls. So it's enough to think sometimes that the whole reason that Jesus came was so that we could know him and, and that is a good enough reason for Jesus to come. That we had an eternal separation between us and God that there was a broken system and it wasn't working and that the only person who could bridge the gap, right, would be God himself. And so the gospel is that Jesus came, God in the flesh, and bridged the gap to humanity that we could not could not get over on our own. It's important to understand that. That Christianity is not a new idea or a better way. It's God's solution for humanity's problem. Does that make sense? This is not a religion where we try to find a new way to reach God. It's the, the faith that God has reached us. And that's completely different than almost every other construct of man about how we are to come to know the, the God of the universe, the God who created us. Um, and so we, we're going to talk about that today and what Jesus does next. I want to read from the scriptures uh, this morning. We're going to be in chapter 3, as I've said already, verse 13. I think if you're in our Bibles, it's on page 701. But go ahead and turn there, if you would, to Mark 3, chapter 3, verse 13. And we'll read it together, a few verses here, and then we'll talk through them. You can see up, by the way, up on the screen, it says 3.13 through 6.13. That's a lot of text. We won't cover all that today, so don't freak out if you're you know, predisposed to freaking out. Maybe you're not. <laughs> okay, but we're going to talk through a few here, so let's just read these together. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designated them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 that he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Bo Bonerges, which means sons of thunder, which I prefer because I can pronounce. And then 18, uh, and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray as we enter into God's word that we would have understanding and then we'll talk through that text today. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come and to worship you, to sing your praises, even Lord, to gather as your people. It is such a blessing to, to be able to come together and to celebrate and to worship you for who you are. 
And Father God, while we thank you that we do live in a country that allows freedom of religion, we thank you even more that your gospel transcends such allowances because we can worship you anywhere on the planet, anywhere in creation. We are allowed to worship you. We're called to worship you. And so today we join with our brothers and sisters all over the world, those who are free to worship and those who are constrained, that we would be bowing before the same throne and worshiping you together. May you be glorified, Father, in the in the glory that you deserve. And Father, this morning as we come into your word, the word that's revealed to us that you've made a way, I pray that we would have our hearts and minds fixed upon you, that we'd be listening to you and that you would be instructing us. We are in desperate need to hear from you and to know you better today, all of us. And so, Father, today, from the time we spend in the Word, may you um, add the anointing of your Holy Spirit, not just to my speaking, this is not about me, Father, but to the hearing that we might understand, believe, and live differently as people. Only you can do the work in your people. Only you deserve the credit for the work done in your people, and only you can save us. And so today, Father, we come at your feet, and we listen to your Word, and we wait upon your instruction, Father. Would you glorify yourself through your people as we submit to you? In reverent, holy, in reverence and in holiness, and, and because you're, you're worthy to be worshiped and praised. We give you this time as much as we're able, and we wait upon you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's just not enough time to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. So here we have Jesus um, going up the mountainside, and I'm going to talk through, we're going to kind of talk through a few verses here and then talk about this conceptually and why it might kind of monkey wrench up our problem, or our, our concepts here a little bit. Maybe just mine, maybe not like me, maybe just mine. Jesus goes up the mountainside, and this is the first thing I want to talk about, and he called to him those he wanted. He called to them those he wanted. And I think that's, and it says that they came to him, those that he called. And so it's interesting to me that, that there's something about the relationship with Jesus and his time on the mountain, right? That he's, he's inviting people to come to him that he desires, that he desires. I don't know if you're like me at all, but I have a tendency to think that God tolerates me, not that he desires me. Do you ever feel that way? I feel, like, I feel like maybe this is like a broken view I have of God, but I feel like he's always like, oh, Billy, <laughs> you know? Not like, oh, Billy, like I love you. I, I desire you. I want you. And, that, that's, and that's powerful to me that when he d makes this next act, because everything to this point has been about Jesus, and he's saying, follow me, and everyone's following Jesus, and he's going to do all this stuff. But then he begins to make for himself a people. My people, not my people, his people, his people. And it says that he wants them and he invites them and then they come to him. There's that natural response. So they've already begun to follow him because we know later those names we've listed are those that he said, follow me. So they're already following Jesus. They're already behind him. They're already watching and learning. But here it says that he went up the mountainside and he called to, those, to himself those that he wanted, those that he desired. He, he picks his people. And they came to him. And then he appointed 12, designated them, designated them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. This is going to get very specific now. So this idea that Jesus is doing this appointing of apostles in his ministry, in his ministry, okay? So he calls those he wants, they respond to him, and then it says that Jesus made 12 of them and called them apostles, he made them apostles, and he called them apostles, right? This, this word that we're going to spend some time talking about now is um, apostolos, and it's just those who are sent. 
And the word is used two different ways here. The one is as a noun, as the person that he calls them. So just like he gives, in a minute we hear the names that he gave to Peter and the names that he gave to the, brother, the brothers of thunder. He calls for the first time his people apostles. He names them apostles. But that's only part of the use of the word. The second part of the use of the word is that, they, that his hope is that he will apostle them. Now that kind of sounds weird to use as a verb, right? Because we usually use words like disciple. We're going to disciple you. That means to teach or to learn. That's that relationship. But to apostle someone means to send them out. To, that's, so his goal, his naming, it is in his goal here. His purpose for them is in the name he gives them. You are apostles, and my hope is that I'm going to apostle you sometime. That's his desire. And so, we're gonna, so we, can, we can see now then that when he does this, this is a unique thing because we've not heard anything like this yet. He said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll do all these things. But now he says, come to me. He appoints 12, right? He makes them. It literally means he made them. Like he, he just created in them this ap- apostolic um, truth. That's what I would say. You know, he functionally changed who they are forever by making them apostles. And then I want to talk for a minute here about two um, two purposes, primary purposes that really caught my attention. Why? Look at it in verse 14 with me. Why would he designate them apostles? Why would, I don't like the word designate. It means he named them. He named them apostles. These are my apostles. Why? One, that they might be with him. I said to you that the, the faith of Christianity is not a faith of us reaching God in a new way. It's a faith of God reaching us in the only way. That's the difference, right? And his desire in making apostles is that he might be with them. So you can imagine, you remember where we came from, right? The crowds were pressing in so much for the healing of Jesus that they, they couldn't even eat dinner anymore. There was no more room. It was, we were beyond the, the packedness of someone lowering someone through the roof. There's not even room in the house to have a meal anymore. There's so many people wanting to be healed. And from that, he withdrew to the mountainside. He invites um, some up. He appoints 12 to be apostles, and then, and then um, why? So that he might be with them. He might be with them. There's this idea of this intimacy. I can't imagine, church, the comfort of knowing that Jesus has not only invited you to follow him, but invited you into the inner circle to be loved and known by him. Do you, I, I feel that very much as an embrace, that he might know them, right? Is that what the word says? That he might be with them. That he might spend time. Like, like, this is a big, big deal. And I can't imagine because all of a sudden those who began to follow Jesus might begin to feel lost in this process. Well, who are all these people? I don't understand what's happening anymore. But he's going to invite them in to the inner circle to spend more time with them, to be with them. I, I, I don't even think we can get to the profoundness of that. Of him saying, yes, I love all of you, but you, 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 come over here, right? What, me? You want me? And he designates them apostles because he's hoping to apostle them sometime. The second purpose, though, which we could easily overlook, we could be like, well, that's that then, right? I'm, I'm, on, the in, I'm on the inside with Jesus. It's Jesus, then it's me, then it's everyone else. That's how that works. And you can be excited about that. But it says that his second pers- purpose is that he might apostle them, that he might send them out. 
He named them, drew them close, spent time with them so he could send them out into the world. And this began to be like one of those things for me that I got really excited about. I'm like, okay, so that's the point, right? That he might send them out. When he says to Matthew and the tax collector, whenever he says to James and John, the guys in the boat, when he says to Peter, he says, Andrew, he says, come follow me. When he invites those folks to come and follow him, his ultimate purpose is not that they would be with him forever, but that he would send them out, that he would apostle them. So I got really excited, and I'm like, that's awesome, because the purpose then of all of this is that we might be sent out. Look at what the word says. That he might be with them, and that he might send them out, what? To preach and to drive out, to have authority to drive out demons. I want to get all the word in there, right? So to, to send them out to preach and have the authority to drive out demons. This is so much of what's been happening in his ministry so far. So he, he um, has this twofold purpose for apostles. Now this is where it gets messed up for me. So I'm all excited about this. And then I start to, you know, I did some prep and stuff. Then I started to read, and there's a traditional understanding in the church that that's just those apostles. That's just those 12 dudes. That's only for them. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I mean, the church isn't based on everyone being an apostle. That's not the, the goal. I mean, that's not the, the purpose or the structure of the church. And as I begin to read through the New Testament after the Gospel of Mark, I mean, in the order that's in the New Testament, and that's the order is recorded. But when I begin to read through, and I want to, I want to share with you um, from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, this is the earliest church um, function. Sometimes, I've told you before, sometimes it's called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostles because it's such a fine line. God is at work and people are at work, right? Um, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, depending on your view there. Acts 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 42. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, let me find it here. Yeah, so this is, this is the, new, the new fellowship of believers who have heard Peter preach. They've come to faith. They've received the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's fallen. And then this is what the word says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, right? So that's all in here. So um, I have it up here if you want to see it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking bread of prayer and then um, all was, everyone was in awe uh, because many wondrous signs and miracles were done, and here it is again, by the apostles. So I'm going to go back to the first screen too there. So, so I want us to understand a little bit that there is something in this, and I'm not even saying I have this figured out because I, you remember we did the um, roles in the church thing? And I said, apostles, disciples, elders, oh my, or something like that. Like, there's, there's a lot of kind of uh, crossover, and it's easy, and I have a tendency to do it, y'all, to just brush over all of that with a really wide brush and say, this is true for all of us. And I'm thinking, is, is that true? Is it true? I guess the way I would say it is this. The fundamental question is, were apostles just for that time, or are apostles still for now? Is there still this idea that a normative part of our lives 
It's not just that we would come to know Jesus and be drawn into him and invited in and, and invited all the more as we even see others invited. We're like, oh, we're part of this group. Oh, wait, you want me to come closer to you, Jesus? That, that moment, whenever we're in that inner space with Jesus, then he turns us around and marches us back out into the world for a purpose. You read a pa- passage like this, and you go, oh, no, no, no. It's easy to say, no, that was for them, not for us, you see. They devoted, that's they, the believers, the new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? What are the apostles' teaching? What they know of Jesus. Now, the other wrinkle in this plan is going to be the apostle Paul. Isn't it funny, of all the apostles, um, that's the one that most naturally rolls off of my tongue, is the apostle Paul. The Apostle Thaddeus. (laughs) You ever heard that referred to before? He's in the list of apostles. But the Apostle Paul, we know. Why? Because he says he was as one who was abnormally born. He became an apostle of Jesus Christ, having not um, discipled under him directly. Right? And so he has this revelation from God, and he becomes an apostle, one who is sent. One who's sent. So I want to say that there's two, I'll just say this for now, right? There's two of these different sides. Um, The one side of this is this capital A apostle. And it's a formal role. It's a formal identifier. It's those guys that Jesus called out of that crowd to that mountainside to instruct them, right? You'll even remember um, in the book of Acts, after Judas, by the way, isn't it funny that he says Judas, the one that's going to betray him, like the church cannot let go of Judas, right, on this deal, that um, they cast lots, in Acts to fill that spot after Judas kills himself for betraying Jesus. He's so distraught over what he's done that they, they, they only have 11 now. They go, we have to have 12. We've always had 12. We need 12. And they cast the lot to who? Matthias, <laughs> right? So Matthias, by the casting of lots, uh, rolling of the dice, becomes the 12th um, apostle. So that's one of the ways we want to look at it, the capital A apostles, right? But then the other idea, and I think there's merit in it, and if we don't agree, let's have a conversation as a church because our theology does matter. What we believe does matter. It forms everything. Is that there are the little A apostles who are still sent out. That there's something, as I've been you know, thinking, there's something that's normative, not just about the comfort and love and care and embrace of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but that after he hugs us and he tells us he loves us and I died for you and you're forgiven, he then turns us around and sends us into the world. Into the world. Um, there was a mention uh, earlier today during the service of these past elections, right? And one of the things that really I thought, okay, now there's something that's true, um, is that in our current culture, we have a tendency to live inside of a bubble of our own creation. And, and someone made the observation, they said, ironically, social media has made us worse. Because you can create what they're calling an echo chamber of people who agree with you and nobody else. And so your whole, because the question is, everyone's, you know, kind of bewildered about what, what, what happened? What just happened? What did we experience? Because we were all in our own little echo chambers, and all we knew was what we knew, and then whenever things didn't go the way we were hearing back from ourselves, we were shocked. I see all this say that the, someone said the remedy of that is not to create your own uh, safe space, your own bubble, your own sphere of influence where everyone agrees with you, but to go out and to engage people who don't agree. And go out and engage them in a way that you're willing to listen and learn and maybe even be changed. And see, that's a different approach to the world. That's an approach that requires humility. 
That's an approach that requires grace. That's an approach that requires love. It requires patience. It requires peace. And all of a sudden you go, oh, right, I've heard that before. I say that because we could become, and we have become, I mean, not family Bible, but, you know, the church historically, we become an echo chamber of people that are like us and, that, and we don't believe there's anything else for us to do. So if you say those first 12 are the apostles and the rest of us just could gather around the warm campfire and make sure, wait, you know, wait till Jesus comes back, um, it seems like a, a, a falling short of God's ultimate purpose for the church. Isn't it funny that the church itself is called the ecclesia, the called out ones? When it says he called them to himself. That the church at large is called the ecclesia, that you're called out of the world. But then not to, not to live forever out of the world, but then to go back into the world. Why is this a big deal if we don't get this right? I mean, because, and I'm telling you, like, I'm still wrestling with it, right? But at the end of Matthew, at the end of Mark, there's a command to go into all nations. I mean, Mark says, go to preach to all creation. You know, Matthew says, go preach to all nations about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go share. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what Matthew says. Mark says, go and preach the gospel to all creation. And if, if he's only talking to the apostles, then we can go, well, we're fine. But if he's talking to all of us, then we all have someone to go and engage with. We have, all have something to go and to share. With that in mind, and keeping in mind that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which means that we have to have this, um, the, this doctrinal understanding of who Jesus is. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. We have to engage with Scripture and not take out the parts we don't like. And all of us have a tendency to do that. Like, oh, that's uncomfortable. And we just ignore that verse and move on. We have to take the whole counsel of God's word, which is what the apostles' teaching would be. Those who um, were there those who, the recorded history of the Christian church. But then the second thing that I want to share with you then is from the Apostle Paul, and it's in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, Paul says this about the church. He says, it was Jesus who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Right? Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the whole, the whole body of Christ might be built up. And I know if you're a student of the Bible, you know there's more to that. There's more to that sentence. But we're going to stop right there and talk about this, right? So Paul says it was Jesus himself who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then the question becomes, if we're going to say, well, those capital A apostles were all the apostles there ever were, well, then what about, and then you go, and you're kind of probably comfortable with the prophet idea too. Those prophets were all the prophets. There's no more prophets. You know, the prophets have ceased. I mean, that's cool because that makes us more comfortable. But then you go, well, what about evangelists? Have the evangelists ceased? Or, or what about the pastors and teachers? By the way, pastors are just shepherds. It's just those who kind of gather the people of God to keep encouraging the people of God to follow God. Keep going. Jesus is the good shepherd. Keep following Jesus. And all of a sudden, I, I don't see how we can throw out some of this and not the rest of it. Paul says, no, this is Jesus is appointing his people to, to works of service. Why? Why would God use people? Says it. That the body of Christ might be built up. To prepare God's people that the body of Christ might be strong. 
strong, right? And so all of a sudden you go, okay, so my relationship with Jesus is not just about me being saved. Am I saved because of Jesus? You bet. Absolutely. Could I be saved without Jesus? Absolutely not. I have found nowhere in Scripture where it says you can come to faith apart from Jesus Christ, or you can come to salvation apart from Jesus Christ, from faith in Jesus. This doesn't exist. Absolutely need Jesus to be saved. But is my salvation the end purpose that God has for revealing himself to me in this life? does not seem so. It seems that we are called to be in a role, in a particular situation, being sent out, and therefore into all the areas. And we see this later whenever the apostles are, um, uh, stay behind Jerusalem and the diaspora, the, the, the church is scattered and we begin to see those who are scattered doing the same thing that the apostles were doing. Preaching the word, um, healing, proclaiming the kingdom of God, baptizing, believing, exhorting. They do the same things. So we do have this opportunity, I believe, to be included. Um, this is a conversation. Like, this is not a final word on this, but I, I really, because I can see both sides. I can see how if we said that was the apostles, it gives us a safe distance from having to go out into the world and do anything, <laughs> you know? I'm in the church. I'm saved. I'm good to go. I'm hanging out. But if there's more to the relationship, oh, uh, how sad, how sad would it be uh, to meet Jesus and have him say, I know you died to save me, Jesus. And he's like, I did. But why didn't you go? Why did you just hang out in the house with me all the time? Why do you go? You know, I gave you that job for a reason. I gave you that title for a reason. I gave you that education for a reason. I gave you the opportunity for a reason. Why wouldn't you go and make the most of that? And listen to me. I'm not telling you exactly how to do that. But I'm saying talk to Jesus about that stuff. Okay, Jesus, I'm out here in the streets with folks. What do you want me to do? How shall I engage? How shall I com converse with them? What if they don't agree with me? Have that opportunity. So here's what was hard for me today about this. So I've been trying to do kind of pericope-based studies, but really the way I see this in the Gospel of Mark is that that entire thing from 3.13 to 6.13 is the text. We're not going to cover a lot today. It's, it's too much. It's too much for the, the time constraints we have. But I do want you to see, because I go, okay, we were just reading, and it says... Um, He's appointing them that he might apostle them, might send them out. That's in 15. And then I'm reading and reading and reading. I'm like, where is this at? Where does Jesus actually do what he said he's going to do? Right? And you've got to go to all the way. You could turn there if you want. You can turn to chapter 6 in the book of Acts. Acts 6, verse 6b. <laughs> it's always funny, by the way, they put a letter behind a number in the Bible because it's not really there. It just means there's a half verse they don't have to do with, so they kind of split it weird. Um, so, but what I really want to read from 6b. You can read around. I'm not trying to cheat the text here, but I just want to read from 6b about when Jesus actually then does this, right? He pointed to be apostles that he might apostle them, and here's what it says. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to himself. There's the same pattern. He sent them out, and here's some instruction, two by two, giving them authority over evil spirits. These were the instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, um, no bag, no money for your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. 
Um, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off of your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Oh, that's kind of crazy. All right, we'll get that later. They went out and they preached and the, the people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. I want us, we're not going to talk about that a lot today, but I want you to see that there is the manifestation of Jesus' desire for his people, right? He's not like what we're used to, so used to these in our culture is a lot of promises and no action. He says, this is the purpose I've named them. I'm gonna do this. And then three chapters later, he does exactly that. That's exactly what happens. He sends them out. They preach, they, they heal, and um, they proclaim the kingdom of God. So I wanted you to see that there really is a connection point well then my question and we're going to talk about like this will be the next few weeks then probably is so what's in between there this becomes the time of jesus instructing his sent ones and so we're going to spend a few weeks talking about that like what why then does jesus teach these things at this time before he does that thing because i think it that it matters it's nestled in there right i'm going to send them out i sent them out in the middle was their training as those who are sent and we're going to pay attention to that in the weeks to come to talk about what those teachings mean. You've probably heard all of them before, but I, I want to really listen to them in, in context. In the context of that idea of being instructions, that time that he drew them near to himself to prepare him, them for sending, him sending them out. Um, by the way, let's not ever um, become impatient with God in his seasons of preparation. Right? So many times we say, well, you said you're going to do it, do it right now. They weren't ready. And many times in our lives, we're going to do it, let's do it right now. We're not ready. And so Jesus is very deliberate, and he begins to instruct them before he sends them out to do this thing in his name. Okay, so, that, so that's kind of the model that we have then. So there's this idea of the actual 12 apostles, and there's this idea that in our own lives, there's that relational thing that we do with Jesus. We draw near and we go out into the world. We draw near and we go out into the world. This becomes a very normative pattern. As a matter of fact, we will see this also in Jesus' own prayer life with his Father. He goes into the world. He gets around the crowds. He gets away to the mountain. He talks to the Father. He goes back to the crowds. And there's this kind of ebb and flow, this um, relational cycle that happens for Jesus, that happens uh, for the apostles. We'll find out as well. So now I want to go back to chapter 3 and finish this up this morning. Because I, I love it, and we don't want to blow off these details here. Um, chapter 3, starting in verse 16. He's going to do this. Apostle these guys. But it says this. These are the 12 that he appointed, that he made. Um, Simon, with whom he gave the name Peter. I want to remind you that Peter means the rock. So he, he names him the rock. And that's the first uh, this, the apostle that Jesus appoints. You remember, um, we have to keep in mind who Peter is um, because, you know, again, you know, like you're playing sports and you're like the first person picked. How you must feel to be the first person picked. I always feel like it's an accident, by the way, <laughs> if I'm the first person picked. I've not played that sport with you before if you pick me first. Uh, but Peter is like, yeah. I think we begin to see that manifest in his life as he's the first one out of the boat, the first one to ask a stupid question, the first one to run off of a cliff. Um, Peter, the first one that's appointed uh, by Jesus. Um, James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, 
and I love this, to whom he gave the name, uh, who can pronounce that? Um, Bonergas? I don't even want to say it. It seems wrong all about it. But, uh, which means sons of thunder. It just means they were a raucous, rowdy group. I mean, it just seems like the sons of thunder, you know, um, they were probably jostling and aggravating each other. I can just imagine it must have been a, it must, by the way, side note, um, I've only been fishing with my brother-in-law one time. Uh, someone took us fishing, and they never took us again. Because the entire time in the boat, we were just messing around and not paying attention to what we were supposed to be doing. Uh, like, you little kids in a boat, you're always worried someone's going to fall out. My brother-in-law and I, it was like somebody was going to throw someone out. It was just, it was hilarious, uh, but the fishermen didn't enjoy it. So anyway, they, those guys were kind of probably like that, kind of raucous, kind of, um, you know, whatever, making noise. Um, and, then, and then here it goes. Andrew, you remember Andrew, right? Um, Philip, Bartholomew, <laughs> I love that. Um, Matthew, which we believe is Levi, right? The tax collector at the tax collector's booth. Um, Thomas, who doesn't love Thomas? We label him Doubting Thomas, but he's Thomas who's there at the end. I'll believe it when I see it. When I put my hands in his finger and on my, my, my finger in his hand and my hand in his side, that Thomas is this Thomas right here that's appointed, okay? Um, Simon, or I'm sorry, I skipped him. Uh, James, the son of uh, Alphaeus. Uh, Thaddeus, again, not one we've heard much about. We don't hear much about Thaddeus. Uh, Simon the Zealot. Uh, sometimes, uh, I, a little sidebar on this idea of being zealous. It means to be like white, hot, passionate. I remember one time early in my walk with Jesus, my life with Jesus, my response to the gospel, someone said, do you consider yourself a zealot? And I said, I don't know, I'm pretty zealous, you know? I mean, it, it's become a bad word in our culture. You're, you're, you're too zealous about this, but there's a lot of things to be zealous about. And uh, in this case, uh, we have this Simon who is zealous, probably, by the way, to separate him from name confusion from the rock as well. So Simon the Zealot. And then we have, lastly, Judas Iscariot. By the way, both names given. We don't want you to confuse this guy because this is the bad dude who would betray Jesus betrayed him. And that's written post fact there, obviously. So um, you're writing a history book, and you're like, that was the bad dude who betrayed Jesus. And man, we have, just for a half a second, we have to say, and yet Jesus called him to himself and sent him out. Jesus who knew who was going to betray him in the end, invite him to the table and send them out. There's lots of stuff there that should mess with our theology, I think. Lots of stuff there should give us pause and go, I want to study this and understand this more. We, we kind of make uh, Christianity this like super conform to our own comfortable image, but th there's a breadth of people. There's a, there's a whole different experience of, of backgrounds and experiences and calls and responses, and then, not to mention, they come to this choke point of Jesus and then are sent out into the world in a varying kind of display of his glory even the one who would betray him. So, so I, I just want to kind of set that up today. So, so why then? What, what, what does this matter? And I think that the key is that he might know them, he might be with them, and that he might send them out. That this was his purpose. And I do believe, as I've kind of said already, that that's the purpose for us. Um, some of the... I want you to say, you know, the traditional Christian, you know, uh, songs we have, This Little Light of Mine, um, or um, I don't know, you know, it's about being witnesses in the world. 
not, not like I told you so witnesses, not like know-it-all witnesses, but like just letting the, what you do know come through, including what you don't understand. Let that come through too. Do you know everything? I love, we sing songs sometimes at church, right? You, you hear those songs we sang this morning? It's like a lot of, I don't really know what's going on. I'm kind of a mess. And I'm not saying that to be proud of that. But I know Jesus. I know he saved me. I know enough to know I should keep following him. So why? I don't know where you are today, man. I don't know, I don't know if you need that just to Jesus say, I'm just going to draw you near to me today. I'm going to call you out of the world. I'm going to draw you near to myself. Come all, you know, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Just come into Jesus. And that's definitely part of our relationship. And maybe that's where you are. And then maybe you're also this place you go, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good with Jesus, but man, I just don't, I don't know what's going on anymore. Maybe it's time that you turn around. There's something about this cycle with Jesus, this risk and reward, risk and reward, I think. Does that make, is that fair to say? Yeah, come to me. I love you. Go back out in the world. It's scary out there, Jesus. He's like, yeah, but go out there. You can come back to me in a minute. Go out there. Have a conversation. Take a risk. Engage. Love someone else like I've loved you. Share the good news of the kingdom with the world. So I don't know where you are in that dance with Jesus, but I hope that we have the courage that if we feel like he's sending us out, that we would go. The time to take a risk, you would take a risk. All right, I want to pray. We'll end there, and then um, we're going to, uh, we'll talk through the final bits of service here this morning. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your scripture and for the reality that it is men and women just like us that responded to Jesus up that mountainside, that was paying attention when he began to come and say the kingdom of God is near. Whenever he began to instruct uh, his people to come follow him, and he will make us fishers of men. Father God, we come to you in that same vein as those who've been called out of this world into your kingdom. And I pray today, Father God, that for those brothers and sisters here today that just need your comfort, that don't need something else to do or pressure to go do it, that just need your Holy Spirit's anointing drawing us near to you, that that would be received from you today, that it would not be, not of a human manifestation in any way, Father, but your glorious grace for your people, that you would just say, yeah, you come to me and uh, I'll give you rest. And we take such great comfort in that, Father, in our days where we need to be so near to you. And then, Father, for the, maybe those of us who've, you know, been sitting in there and we're really super comfortable and it's warm and we don't want to go out into the cold, that, that maybe we need to turn around and be sent out, Father. And if that's true, and it, Father, I've said today in your presence before your people that I want to understand your word rightly. So if that's really just for those 12 guys back then and nothing else, Father, make that very clear to us that we would have that doctrinal understanding properly. But if there's something else to be said here about being sent out into the world to make disciples and to go and to do this work, that we would not be so afraid of the truth of that that we wouldn't go and do it. Would you help us to respond appropriately to your word today? And then, Father, for the work that you continue to do, we give you thanks and praise. You are always, always worthy to be worshipped. And we join all the saints and all time in doing that. May you be glorified. We thank you so much for the time we've had together now. Just talking to you and spending time in your word. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.